0: well real talkers uh, good morning Ryan jesperson here with you on a, a bit of a different morning today as you can see a different setup uh for this morning's show as i'm coming to you live uh from our uh our living room in our home and this is the first time that we've uh, done anything like this uh, samuel g brooks the technical producer of the show is working wonders behind the scenes uh, to ensure that we were able to come to you this morning. There um, there will, Something and we're like just going to say, out of the gate, uh, likely today be some challenges. Um, I'm, I'm even seeing right now on my own screen that uh, my signal is very choppy, obviously, uh, which is not the way that it was when we tested it even five minutes ago. So this is going to be a wild uh, adventure for us. Sam, how are you holding up?
1: I'm I'm doing okay. Uh, there there was a lot of panic last night when I was trying to sort of sort this out. I mean, the thing is, is is you know, we knew in in COVID time we may have to go to remote production, so we wrote a plan for this in like November. We just haven't acted it out yet. So today is going to be a real test drive for this.
0: Yes, it will, and we know that our uh, regular viewers and our listeners will, will be here with us. Uh, through this all. Um, Sam, is is the signal, just so we can workshop this live, this is a bit of a good exercise for us, am I coming across as choppy as I appear to be coming across in my own screen? Are you are you seeing me in, in still frame captures? Basically? No,
1: you're so, I mean, it's just a network issue with the way that I have to send the return video back to you. Um, you're okay. you're actually coming in pretty clean on my end. I mean, it's not great, okay. obviously, but okay. uh, you know, it it looks pretty good, yeah. Because I'm looking at both monitors right now. The return video to you is definitely a lot choppier.
0: Okay, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I need to stop paying attention to what I'm seeing in front of me, and uh, and I'm I'm not going to worry about that because I know that we're in good hands. Uh, and and Sam, uh, you deserve credit, uh, friend. Um, Sam has been working on this into the late night hours. And uh, we really appreciate it. Now, now Ryan, why are you home is probably a fair question that some of you are seeking the answer to. Um, quite frankly, I wanted to let you know that yesterday, like thousands of other uh, Albertans, uh, like uh, tens of thousands of Canadians and people around the world, I received a text message uh, that let me know that uh, someone that uh, I had loose contact with uh, mid last week, uh, tested positive for COVID-19 and so uh, immediately of course when you get a text message like that you 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 uh, snap into protocol uh, and uh, to be quite frank uh, protocol that you may have been taught or told about a hundred times but until it gets to that moment where it's you in that position you don't necessarily remember what to do so uh, the first thing that I knew that I needed to do was get home Uh, I was working in the studio at the time, Um, uh, immediately obviously put on a mask, uh, got into my vehicle, headed home, uh, and uh, immediately started making plans. I wanna compliment Alberta Health Services for the incredible resource that they provided as my wife and I endeavored to uh, determine the best uh, course of attack. Wanna let you know that uh, number one, uh, I'm grateful that this uh, contact of mine notified me and other people within their circle um, as immediately as possible. Uh, I'm also grateful that Alberta Health Services was able to talk us through the process on the phone, helping us to determine uh, which avenue, so to speak, that we needed to consider. So they help you determine how close of a contact you are. And then, of course, that will dictate how you manage uh, the next up to what could be two weeks or even longer than that. So I'm deemed to not be a close contact, which has implications for for my family, it has implications, quite frankly, for Sam, uh, which we asked about as well. Uh, Real Talkers, want to let you know that I, I'm asymptomatic, I feel fine, and uh, I have my COVID test scheduled for just after the show today. So uh, I will, of course, keep you updated. In the meantime, um, the responsible thing to do, and quite frankly, uh, in complying with the law, uh, the right thing to do is to stay home and to uh, to isolate to this point and so that's what I am doing and we'll be bringing you real talk uh, for the foreseeable future who knows uh, if I have a negative test um, I could be back in studio as early as tomorrow because I'm not deemed to be a close contact to this individual um, and if it's a positive test then uh, I'll ask for your thoughts and we'll work our way through this together uh, we've got a great show coming up uh, today in just a moment we're going to check in with uh, canadian senator paula simons and former uh, natural resources and infrastructure minister former federal minister Amarjeet sohi a really interesting exchange between the two of them on twitter the other day and we invited them to bring that exchange here to real talk and we think it's going to be a great conversation of course we remind you that no matter where we're coming to you from uh no matter where our studio is temporary or more permanent our title sponsor remains in place and that is the team at bitcoin well we're grateful for their support they know that a whole bunch of people are curious about crypto right now and how could you not be um half of the days it it, it seems to be right there amid the news headlines and the team at bitcoin well is here to help that make sense for you. If you have questions about crypto or getting involved, you can find them under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com.
2: Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: Well, as we were saying, over the weekend, uh, some uh, troubling uh, demonstrations, uh, including in the city of Edmonton as these anti-lockdown rallies continue to roll out. Uh, we've seen them across the province of Alberta last weekend. We saw them at Calgary Chinook Centre Mall uh, just this past weekend here in Alberta's capital city, uh, culminating or winding up at the Alberta legislature. Now, here's the thing. A lot of these demonstrators were carrying uh, signs with uh, what may be considered offensive, even anti-Semitic slogans. There were uh, racist and hate groups represented by way of patches on vests, undeniably at this gathering. And then of course, there were the tiki torches, the symbolism that, that has uh, come for many people uh, to represent everything wrong, uh, which led to the, the Charlottesville rally a number of years ago, which led to the storming of the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th. And of course, some of the racist sentiments that have been uh, somewhat pervasive uh, through the United States and around the world. It prompted two uh, notable Albertans to speak out against this, but, but not necessarily along the same lines. And we're grateful that they both agreed to join us this morning. Senator Paula Simons, uh, former federal minister, Amarjeet Sohi. Uh, a warm welcome to the both of you. And, and thanks for making time for us this morning on Real Talk.
2: Glad to be here, Ryan. This is my return trip, so I'm very excited to be back for a second time.
0: Yeah, and and I, I think Amarjeet actually has bragging rights, Senator, because this is his third. So I mean, oh. you know, I don't <laughs> All know. <right>. So, <laughs> so we already
2: we already <laughs> see, detect some bias in the host. All right
3: yeah that's, that's that's right um well listen nice I wanna, to see I you nice to see you, and I, nice to see you ryan and nice to see you paula i hope that i can still call you paula we're friends and uh yes
2: well i mean i, 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 I feel, yes.
3: feel kind of awkward to uh, call you <laughs> senator but uh you know honorable senator and uh, my good friend paula thank you it's nice to see you good to see you too Amarji. yeah
0: I, uh, obviously, there is a, uh, an existing friendship here and a mutual respect, and, and really what I want to do is, is, quite frankly, get out of the way of the two of you um, so I can ask uh, you two to basically sort this one out. Uh, why don't we start with, with the obvious question, which is why is what you saw so concerning? Uh, Senator, maybe we'll go with you first. What, what was your immediate reaction when you saw this demonstration, including some of the visuals we described over the weekend?
2: Well, it's interesting, Ryan, because I think this is a time when people finally said the quiet part out loud. I think there's always been a subtext of racism, white supremacy to these movements, but I think this time it wasn't something that was being whispered about. It was something that was you know, out loud, up front. And the signal of the tiki torches, I mean, it made me sick to my stomach. One of the hardest days I had during the whole Trump regime was the day of that Charlottesville rally. When I saw mm-hmm. hundreds and hundreds of nicely dressed white boys, uh, you know, looking looking like any university student you might see on any North American campus, chanting "The Jews shall not replace us," and it it just sent chills down my spine. And so, when I saw these clowns, and I and I use that word advisedly, with their tiki torches in broad daylight, I thought, "Oi, you know, uh, well at least they're being honest about who they are," but I also thought to myself, "This is." quantitatively and qualitatively different than Charlottesville. And I, and I want to triangulate my response because of that.
0: Avergy, we'll get into where Paula took this, but why don't I ask you again, the same question just regards to your initial response when you saw what you saw in your home city over the
3: weekend. Well, and I, and I've been reflecting on uh, the whole issue of race and racism over the last number of months, particularly uh, since uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and what happened in the U.S. Uh, I have experienced racism in my life uh, uh, many, many times. Uh, So when I look back uh, to our own city in the 80s, uh, there was widespread racism in our city. And many racialized people, indigenous uh, members of the community face the blunt of it. And uh, and but then uh, during 90s and early 2000s, uh, I saw a significant shift. Our city becoming more inclusive, more welcoming, more embracing, more diverse. Uh, but over the last, I would say, five to seven years, I am noticing a very disturbing trend, a uh, trend that is a, a kind of... A, Uh, you know, taking away what we have built, uh, a diverse city, a welcoming city, and a very, very embracing city. And I'm very concerned about it. So when I I saw the rally on Saturday, uh, it uh, honestly invoked fear, uh, invoked fear in a way uh, uh, that uh, people marching in the street in the guise of uh, uh, challenging health restrictions, carrying those... uh, Tiki torches that have a very significant meaning for uh, uh, for for those people who uh, who feel uh, violated and feel uh, uh, they, uh, they know the impact of racism and discrimination? Because those torches do signify violence, they signify uh, destruction, and they signify uh, white supremacy and white power. And they these people were openly demonstrating. Uh, uh, that power and I found it to be quite chilling, uh, and uh, that's the response that you saw in my tweets. Yeah.
0: So, Senator, you and I do agree. Isn't it incredible how something can uh, something as as benign, quite frankly, as a tiki torch, uh, which which up until you know three or four years ago uh, had only symbolized garden parties uh, and hot dogs and and the smell of citronella. Uh, and, and people gathering in fellowship in their backyards and now has come to represent something horrific. Um, Senator, you <clears throat> took it in, in, in a direction that I think would be understandable to a lot of people. And, and you suggested by way of your Twitter account when a small, a rather small and motley group of angry, frightened Albertans decides to march on the legislature carrying and wearing symbols of Trumpist racism, you call it what it is, how should we react? Especially if what they're really seeking is attention and martyrdom you suggested that rather than giving oxygen to a tiny rump of misguided would-be martyrs rather than letting them define alberta you say this morning i want to turn the conversation to how we shape sustain and celebrate the courageous welcoming multicultural alberta the rest of us know and love not to call it sweeping it under the rug but you encouraged people to divert their focus and to focus on the positives what was the thinking there
2: You know, this is a question I've been wrestling with my entire professional career. I started work as a journalist at a time when Jim Keegstra was making headlines, when Terry Long and the, you know, the Aryan Nation were, and the KKK were burning crosses in provost and trying to blow up the Jewish Community Center in Calgary. And this was a debate we would often have in the newsrooms that I worked in. How much attention do we give these people when really what they're craving is attention? You know, and I was remembering this morning that when I was a chase producer at CBC Radio and directing the CBC Morning Show, I once chased down Jim Keekstra first thing in the morning right after a Supreme Court ruling involving his case and put him live on the air with a very good host. But, you know, lots of my Jewish friends and relations said to me afterwards, how could you give Jim Keekstra time on the air? And at the time, I argued that, you know, he was a newsmaker. This is an important Alberta news story today. I don't think. I would have done that. I don't think I would have given him any platform or or any attention. And I think there is a concern because as we dig down, it seems that the leaders of this uh, the, the, of this march in Edmonton were mostly from Calgary. I'd question how many actual Edmontonians took part in in this event. And I think there is a danger. You know, I know this as a parent and a and a pet owner. Sometimes people behave badly for the currency of our attention. And I'm not saying that we should ignore the problem of white supremacy and racism. We absolutely shouldn't. But I think we can tackle that problem without putting a spotlight on a very small group of people who are not representative, I don't think, of the larger community.
0: So, Amarjit, you you respond to Paula and and you say, I respectfully disagree. You tweet this out over the weekend. You say this is not an isolated incident. Racist rallies and attacks are becoming more common. The accumulative effect is frightening, even for someone like me who has seen worse in life. Uh, On a side note, I'm not sure many people know about, I mean, I know some people do, but about your history as a political prisoner. and, And we can get into that. I mean, you've seen a lot. That, that, that's not always part of the public discourse. You go on to say, please see things from a, a black or indigenous person of color's perspective. Uh, was there something initially about your friend, Senator Simon's tweet, that, that, that right away jumped out and you said, I've got to respond to this because you knew people would pay close attention when you spoke out against it?
2: Yeah. And also, I love Amory Cheat and I don't want him to be mad at me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, and, 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 it, and it, did, it did catch me short because, of course, I think of myself. Uh, not, not as a practicing Jew, but as pers- a person of Jewish descent. I've certainly been targeted by anti-Semitism, uh, you know, all my professional life. But I can walk down the streets of Edmonton and be reasonably sure that no one is going to attack me. Well, they might attack me because they don't like my politics, but they're not going to attack me because I, I, I read as white. You know, I, I, come, I come replete with all the white privilege that that implies. Yeah, and you know, and, and Amberjade's tweet reminded me that just in the last few weeks and months, we've seen brazen, disgusting attacks on uh, Muslim women of color uh, who were wearing hijab uh, and who were targeted just because of what they were wearing, just because uh, they come from a, a religious and racial minority, and and it pained me to think that you know I don't want people to think. That I'm so blinded by my white privilege, and I don't want to be blinded by my white privilege to not see the larger implications.
3: You know, I I, I think is well known. I admire Paula Simon's work. Uh, I actually feel honored that I can call her a friend, uh, someone who stood with stood with me during very difficult times when I was trying to tell my my story of imprisonment and violation that I felt and the torture and the, uh, the isolation and confinement that I went through and reached out to Paula and in, in seeking her advice and how I can convey that very painful chapter of my, uh, my life. Uh, and I admire her work in uh, anti-racism area and how she has profiled some of the most difficult, difficult cases uh, facing indigenous children uh, in, in care. Uh, so it, it was not in any way, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, questioning her commitment to anti-racism work. I think where I differed with uh, with you, Paula, is uh, this accumulative impact, and uh, and uh, and I see this more and more now. I feel it more and more. Uh, I am a pretty resilient person. I don't react to uh, racism in a in in a way that is. Uh, Uh, that is knee-jerk reaction. Um, What I am noticing is uh, uh, that the historic nature and systemic nature of racism that hasn't afflicted our communities for for decades and centuries uh, 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 has not been questioned to the level that we need to question it. We haven't really dug deeper into that painful chapter And uh, it it was reminded during Black Lives Matter and Indigenous Lives Matter and George Floyd's murder and uh, Chief, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, from Fort uh, McMurray, Adam Allen, who's a good friend of mine, Mm -hmm. being brutally beaten up by the RCMP. And those images uh, and the images that we saw on, on Saturday are interconnected in a way that they portray uh, dehumanization of, uh, of racialized communities and, and, and indigenous communities and they exercise power, historical power over over those communities. So that is why I feel that uh, uh, just, and I, I, I would agree with you if these were kind of one-off incidents and if they were not part of a trend, then it's okay to ignore them but this is becoming a wider problem and we need to take it head on and and all of us have a role to play in every aspect from our individual lives to uh, to, to to the leadership role that we play in institutions so uh, so that was the reason that i felt that uh, that we need to uh, you know have this conversation with each other in a public forum why our responses need to be different uh, uh, to these uh, emerging very troubling trend, uh, not only in, in, in Edmonton and, and Alberta, but I would say throughout uh, 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 Canada and as well as the United States, yeah. in some it's, cases in, in Europe as well.
2: Yeah. You know, the, the thing that that Amarjeet touches on is the institutional response. And this is actually what I found almost more troubling than the event itself, because I still don't think I think we have to be careful not to blow out of proportion one very small gathering of very disaffected people, you know, mostly from Calgary who came up here on purpose to get attention. What I found almost more disturbing than the rally itself was the messaging from the Edmonton police service Mm -hmm. uh, who put out a series of tweets congratulating everybody on having a peaceful and respectful rally and uh, referred to the Protesters as behaving respectfully and actually thanking the the protesters for their professionalism, which I thought was an interesting turn of phrase. Since I wonder indeed how many of them are professional protesters, Um, and then it emerged that four police officers were injured in the course of that rally. I mean, physically injured, and that a number of others have had to now go on to self isolation for COVID because. You know, they were in such close proximity to people who refused to wear masks. And I thought, you know, and that and that came from from the union that represents the police officers. And, you know, and then the the police chief, uh, Chief McPhee, tweeted out that he'd been in touch with the four injured officers. And I thought, okay, so why is the Edmonton Police Service saying on its official media channel that this was a respectful and peaceful rally and that the protesters behaved professionally? Uh, when we know that officers risk their health and safety. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and I've seen the video footage of police officers being attacked by the protesters as they tried to arrest one of one of the leaders. And I, I think, you know, I agree with Amarjeet that we need to take this issue extremely seriously, but I don't think our focus should be on the the rump of Yahoo's. I think our focus needs to be on what else is going on in the larger community conversation. What do we have to do as as political leaders, as business leaders, as community leaders to tackle what's going on that is more subtle but perhaps much more concerning?
3: But Paula, I like. I I want to I want to dig deeper into that, uh, and uh, like, why is it? that police officers and police service would treat this as, as a respectful demonstration? Well, that's right? a very
2: good question. I don't know if the officers there didn't look like they were being treated very respectfully.
3: No, but but I think the reason is that because these, these demonstrations are not seen through the frame of race and racism uh, and hatred. They are seen through a different lens that leads to different responses from the police uh, and, and other authorities. Even, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that Premier finally, uh, you know, took a stand, but it took him 48 hours. Why is that? It's not that Premier condones racism. He, I, in my view, he does not. But it took him a while because he did not see this through that frame. So that is my point, that if we, we need to start seeing these demonstrations as what they are, this was not uh, a rally against health restrictions. This was a rally in guise of health restrictions, but it was a racist rally. So I think that is the frame we need to apply. Once we start applying that frame, then our response would be different. I'm pretty sure police's response would have been different if they saw this rally as, as a racist rally.
2: I hope you're right. Oops, Ryan, should we carry
3: on me. this an eye among ourselves or <laughs> Brian's you're...
2: on mute i think this is an excellent <laughs> opportunity I mean, you and i can just take over
0: i've always i'm always poking fun at our guests that find themselves on mute and here i've muted myself <laughs> the show um i want i want to hey this is a great conversation let me say behind the scenes uh, sam brooks doing an amazing job i've just switched from skype over to zoom to get back to you all here um, but i've been keeping an eye the entire time on what real talkers are saying on our live youtube feed um, Fatima says the problem with what the Senator said earlier is that it, it it can isolate people of color in the moment. It can make us feel alone and ignored. Uh, Jillian says growing up in Quebec, we'd hear about the KKK and cross burnings in Alberta. And I thought Alberta was backwards and I never would have considered moving here as a young graduate. Young Canadians are seeing this now. Uh, you know, James says, we need to acknowledge that these groups are much larger than is being played up right now. They have national networks of support. Uh, Let's get to some real talk here on what the appropriate response is and what needs to be done here. I am not a person that believes that you wait. I'm gonna have this conversation with Danielle Smith yesterday. She says, well, you know, we're talking about, well, there there haven't been these massive outbreaks at churches, so what's the problem? And I said, "I "I think I don't think you wait until there's a massive outbreak in so many ways is I don't think that you wait to address what we saw in the United States or what we see around the world, certainly not limited to there until the Alberta legislature building is stormed. Uh, and and people may suggest that that's hyperbole or that I'm being outrageous, but Hey, we're starting to see these things play out. So let me ask you first, Amarji, what does leadership look like now at, at, at a level at a premier's level at a mayor's level, at a community leader's level? And and what about for every single one of
3: us? No, I also mentioned in my subsequent tweet, uh, Ryan, that we cities like ours are competing at a world stage for talent, for investment, and we want to attract the best people to move into our city. And if we are perceived to be trending toward a uh, society, uh, a city that's become less tolerant, that hurts our efforts, and that hurts our economy, and that's our efforts to diversify uh, uh, opportunities for for uh, for for Honey so, I think, like I, I think one one thing that I found, concerning from Paula's tweet was uh, knowing her well and knowing that she's one of the strongest allies. Uh, of racialized and indigenous communities. And she has always spoken up against racism and discrimination. But this thinking that we can ignore or we should ignore these demonstrations, uh, in some way, it's not her intent was, but it justifies that we can stay quiet about them. I think it justifies that, it's, okay, these are Yahoo's, vast majority of Libertans and, and Edmontonians, which are, you know, absolutely embracing and they are not racist at all, but you need them as your allies and you need, to, need them to speak up. But when we brand these racist people as yahoos, then it gives us the justification to remain silent, right? And I think that is concerning in, for me in a way that we need to build more support. We need to build more allies we need to raise awareness among Edmontonians how damaging racism is, that it tarnishes the image of vast majority of us who embrace diversity, who embrace inclusion, and and we are on a path to becoming anti-racist.
2: Yeah, I mean, and I wanna say, I guess in my own defense, that after those initial tweets that Ryan read, what I did was I tweeted out a series of people of color, in, our, in Alberta, yes. most, some from Edmonton, some from other parts of the province. And I yes. said, you know, talking about these people, let's talk about these extraordinary leaders in our community. And so I tweeted out an interview I'd done with Alika LaFontaine, who's an indigenous physician from Grand Prairie, who talked really movingly about his own challenges as a physician trying to convince rural Albertans of the importance of masks and vaccines. And it was a really important conversation. I tweeted out a conversation I had with Yasmin Abu-Laban from the University of Alberta, talking about how multiculturalism was created in Alberta, and is an Alberta policy. And you know, I tweeted out Aaron Paquette, who's a uh, Edmonton city councillor, you you know, who Average knows, um, who. is an indigenous artist and writer as well as a city councilor talking about, you know, how we have reconciliation in our community. I tweeted Mm -hmm. out Barry Morishita, who's a Japanese Canadian, you know, his grandparents and his father was born in a Japanese internment camp. Now he's the mayor of Brooks, which is arguably the most multicultural city in the Mm -hmm. province, talking about how you make an inclusive community. So what I wanted to do was to give platform and voice to those leaders in our community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and there were you know a bunch of other ones i'm not going to enumerate them all but you know my my response was to say let's talk about the people who are on the front lines doing this work because the mm-hmm. anti-racism work is absolutely essential it has to happen through our you know our elementary schools and our high schools and our universities and our community groups and it it, it isn't just something that mayors and city councilors and cabinet ministers and premiers and senators have to deal with it is something that Everybody needs to be conscious of, whether they're a hospital administrator or they're running, you know, a rotary service club. I mean, how do we how do we build an inclusive community that plays to our extraordinary strengths? I would like to think that these anti these hate rallies that we're seeing are the last death throes of people who know that their time has passed. I mean, one of the reasons I think that they are so angry is that they can see that they have lost the argument. And I think it's important that we look at the way that we are policing and doing you know, undercover intelligence work with the very serious violent hate groups. But I think the more, I guess where I wanna see the emphasis is on reaching out to the 99% of other Albertans to teach them to be those allies that Amarjeet needs them to be and that we all need them to be.
3: And, and i I don't disagree with you uh, Paula and I uh, really admire uh, the story you highlighted and uh, many of them are my personal friends and they're doing phenomenal work uh, and we need to amplify those stories and, uh, and and make sure that vast that Edmontonians hear their experiences and uh, their contributions and how they are involved so absolutely I I agree with you, and I often feel the similar way that you uh, you feel that uh, we need to ignore uh, uh, some of these racist uh, uh, incidents. And I think I would continue to agree with you if I did not see a trend. Right? Uh, I, what I'm concerned about is that we um I'm, I'm seeing a trend. Another thing I think I where we I would differ is that racism is not dying; it's not withering away. It is uh, 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 the ugly head of racism is is rising. And uh, we see that, we saw that in the U.S. We saw that, uh, we see that in our institutions. Uh, uh, Each and every day we experience it. So I think, uh, I I wish that it was going away, that it was withering away, but it is not. And I think that's where we need to, uh, Continue to focus and call call it out when we when we see it. And another thing I would I would uh, I would add is that the the work toward building an uh, inclusive city uh, or country uh, starts with it just starts at many levels, and at personal level, we always need to continue to question our assumptions and biases. Uh, that even good attention people sometimes, you know, uh, start feeling that it's okay. It right? is okay that things are changing. Now, and now we're getting better, which which we are absolutely we are. Uh, and, and so, and being anti-racist is a journey. It's it's a lifelong learning process, and that's how society is going to progress. And, and I hope that from time to time we can have these healthy discussions among among allies who are on a shared path to building a better society uh, uh, that we, we may differ in our approach but the end goal is is building that cohesive place for us to live in
0: I'm uh, so grateful that the two of you agreed to join us. I just I want to uh, give a peek behind the curtain and and let real talkers know that both of you have meetings that started six minutes ago, <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> which which means I was going to let you go until you were done, but I, I, I want to respect your time or you're never going to agree to come back. So um, the the spirit of this conversation is is representative of the bedrock of this program, and I'm so grateful for your perspectives uh, uh, coming at this from two different. Um, uh, positions, but but aligned at the same time. And I know that that's very important. I wanna thank both of you for your time today.
2: Thank, thank you Ryan. so much, Ryan. And take take care, take care thank of yourself. You. Yeah, okay. appreciate
0: yeah. that. That's yeah. Canadian Senator uh, Paula Simons, uh, of course, uh, uh, independent Senator out of Alberta and a uh, former federal cabinet minister, Amarjit Sohi, a former uh, Edmonton city councilor as well. He's handled the natural resource and uh, infrastructure files federally. And, uh, and And many people interested uh, in what uh, G Soe's future might look like politically or otherwise and that's something that we're uh, paying keen attention to. Um, I appreciate some of your comments here on, on the line. I, I want to let you know that as, as, as this interview went a little over, um, which really, who cares? You know, we, we don't uh, sweat that kind of stuff. Uh, we're not going to worry about uh, going over time, but we do have another interview locked and loaded. Um, if you're just tuning in right now, you're wondering why I'm coming to you from uh, what appears to be a dining room. That's exactly what it is. This is my home. Um, Sam Brooks is doing an amazing job right now, uh, keeping the show going from our studio as I'm awaiting the results of a COVID-19 test after a contact of mine uh, tested positive. I was notified that just yesterday. I'm feeling fine. I'm asymptomatic, but of course we're going to observe everything that Alberta health services asks us to do. Uh, I want to get to a couple of your comments before we move on and I'll, and I'll give Sam the heads up here that we're going to skip the nine o'clock newscast. Um, You know, very quickly, uh, Justin Trudeau's meeting with Joe Biden today, they're going to be talking about America first. They're going to be talking about trade. They're going to be talking about the two Michaels, Michael Kovrig, Michael Spavor that have, I've been held in Canada, or uh, in China, rather, these two Canadians for for more than two years. Uh, also wanted to let you know, of course, that we're keeping an eye on other stories. I, I see that some of you are asking us about uh, Bill C-7. You want us to be talking about that. That is something that's on our working list. Uh, we are going to be talking about medical assistance and dying in Canada, just not with the senator and, and Amarjeet Sohi at the time that we wanted to make sure we talked about uh, that rally. That that uh, I mean, essentially, it's a racist rally. Let's call it what it is. Uh, Sonny is watching. My man Sonny on, on, the, on the line here. Go see him and his pals. Uh, they could... Uh, I know they'd love to help you at, uh, at Henry Singer. You can do some shopping online there. Sonny says, respectfully, I don't think it matters uh, where these people are from. He says, hate is hate. And when it's based on race, religion, creed, culture, ethnicity, it should be eliminated. End of story. I agree with Sonny. I don't think it matters whether or not these people were from Edmonton. And I'm not suggesting that, that any of our guests were sticking on that point, but the fact of the matter is that the sentiments are evident here in the province of Alberta. Very quickly, we want to thank our partners that whether we're coming to you from our dining rooms, whether we're coming to you from our Real Talk studio, they're with us every step of the way supporting our Real Talk journey. And that includes the team at Clean Air Club. Right now, they want to make sure that your family can breathe easy. And a big part of that is making sure that your furnace filters are changed on a regular rotation. When's the last time you changed yours? Have you ever changed yours? Check out CleanAirClub.ca. You let them know the size of the furnace filter you need. They drop them off right at your front door. You save money and you can breathe easy with CleanAirClub.ca. The team at Friesen Brothers is super excited for March 5th. That's when they're opening the doors on their 15th Alberta location, a beautiful store in South Edmonton, uh, just off Rabbit Hill Road, The Anthony Henday there. Friesen Brothers for more than 60 years has been supporting Alberta producers. It's why you'll find all the Alberta proteins, including Alberta beef, Alberta veg, anytime they can get fresh produce from this province. Even Alberta milled flour in their famous sourdough at Friesen Brothers, Alberta grown, Alberta owned. All right, now this is a painful exercise. When we start talking budgets, we know it can hurt. But I'm excited to welcome these two individuals that at the thenext30.ca have issued a challenge. As a matter of fact, it's very similar to the challenge we've issued you with our question of the week. And that is quite simply, how would you balance the budget? It's a real pleasure to welcome two friends of the program to Real Talk. An economist well known out of the University of Calgary, Dr. Trevor Toom, and the president and founder of Insight Marketing, Ted Curry. Gentlemen, welcome to the show and thanks for making time for us.
4: Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Uh, Yeah, you bet. Hi, Ryan.
0: Yeah. Hey, Ted, uh, appreciate your patience, both of you hanging out in the bullpen while we wrap things up with with Amarjeet and Paula. Uh, let's hit the ground running on this. Ted, it goes without saying, I won't ask you, why is it important uh, to go through an exercise of, of balancing the budget? But, but how are you approaching this one at the next 30.ca? Why, why do you think the citizen engagement is so important this time around?
5: Well, yeah, budget's a, a tough topic as you let off with. And I think it's important that people, one, have information and context about it. Sometimes it gets talked about, I think, in ways that make it sound more complicated than it needs to be. There's you know, some fundamental options that are out there that I think people can explore. So at the next 30, yeah, we've created this tool with Trevor's help to, to let people play around with it, experiment, see what the options are, see what they like, see what they don't like. Uh, I think it's, typically budgets bring up topics that are unpopular, whether that's, you know, raising taxes or, or cutting costs. And I think people in Alberta need to have those conversations. And so we're looking forward to hearing from lots of people on it, getting different ideas and bringing some new perspective potentially to the table.
0: Okay. So uh, Dr. Toom, I wasn't, I wasn't going to, you know, kick off this interview without having undergone the exercise myself. Um, so you've issued us the challenge and it, by the way, it's very well done on how we would, how we would address a $10 billion, deficit and i want to let you know i was able to get the deficit down to 1.9 billion i was able to find 8.1 billion in savings which which i'm pretty okay with and i think i've done it in a way that could be generally palatable of course some people are going to hate the measures that i took Uh, before maybe i get into what i did and the levers that i pulled and the decisions i made everyone's will be different why don't we talk about 10 billion why 10 billion
4: Sure, sure. So so I do want to emphasize that that's right to think about uh, options as involving trade-offs and everyone will evaluate those trade-offs in different ways. So there are lots of options available to Alberta and we are lucky. Uh, but where did 10 billion come from? Well if you look at, uh, the current deficit that's projected for this year, it's north of 20 billion. So we think, oh, well, 10 billion, that's that's too small of a deficit to address. But a, a big chunk of the fiscal challenge that we're facing in the short term are due to temporary factors related to the pandemic and the associated economic disruptions and low oil prices. But if you look a couple of years down the road, so where are we currently projecting the deficit in 2022-23 to be? You know, after the COVID dust. Uh, hopefully settles. By then, the government was projecting just shy of $10 billion as uh, their deficit that that year. And that was previously the year that they were hoping to balance the books. So the the COVID shock going out that far uh, does represent about a $10 billion uh, uh, challenge for the province to overcome. And what do we do after that point? If we keep spending in line with other large provinces, a, a stated goal of the provincial government then the projection kind of looks like that $10 billion is here to stay, uh, just given the nature of economic growth and revenue projections. And so we do need to think longer term to close uh, roughly $10 billion.
0: So this is, I mean, wh- when it comes to to, to the fiscal situation, I- I'm curious for both your takes on this. Um, Ted, I mean, you how many, You guys have, I- I'm guessing off the top of my head, you probably got a couple hundred employees, wouldn't you? I mean, you, you're-, you're yeah.
5: <laughs> I wish. If, or, or maybe I don't wish. No, we're, yeah, we're only about 10, Ryan. No, I, take a zero
0: I, off. I, I, but you, Ted, you, you're, you're used to working with budgets and you're used to running a business. And we, we oftentimes participate in exercises where we'll, we'll have people say, I mean, you know what it all comes down to oftentimes is when people would say, here's my choice for who should lead this political party, or here's who I'd love to see get into politics. And oftentimes it's people that have been very successful at business. And then we'll hear from the counterpoint, which is government's not like a business. You can't run a government like you run a business. So how do you approach a, a, as a, a president of a company, as an employer, an exercise like budgeting for government?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think the truth is between those two scenarios. Like I, I do think there are differences between government and business, but that doesn't mean that some basic business principles don't apply and that you know, government should ignore all of them. I think it, it is a conversation exactly like Trevor said in trade-offs and there's no way to get everything that you want um, all the time. And we've had a tough run the last five or six years. You know, the, the, the numbers haven't gotten our favor. Um, some of the places we used to generate a lot of revenue from, we don't anymore. And I think we can't be naive to that conversation. So I think you've got to look at what are some of those trade-offs and that means uncomfortable conversations potentially around how do we raise more revenue and how do we potentially decrease some of our, some of our costs. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think organizations, you know, you ask what it feels like to be a business owner, that's a conversation we have in our organization monthly, certainly every year when we prepare our budget. I don't think there's anything wrong with being uncomfortable. I don't think there's anything wrong with having to make trade-offs. I don't think you're doing it right if you just blindly say, well, I don't like the trade-offs, so we'll just keep going down naively down a path that clearly is not working for us. So I I think you've got to take some of those basic business principles reasonable people can disagree about how quickly we have to balance, you know, to what extent, you know, you said, Ryan, you were left with whatever 1.1 billion, you know, we can argue, should that be 1.1? Should it be zero? Should it be two? What I don't think reasonable people can do is assume we can run a $10 billion deficit forever. And that's, I think, where there's been this mistake. We just keep seeming to punt the conversation down the road. And I think that's the part that has to be addressed.
0: Um, so Trevor, you know, we, we talk about the Alberta advantage and, and uh, we've had many healthy debates um, on this show and other shows of, of what that is and what the advantage actually is and if it's legitimate and, and if it's still here. Um, we talk about things like oftentimes we talk about the Alberta van advantage, aside from where we're born and what we're walking on top of, uh, the Alberta advantage has typically referred to tax rates. I've seen some compelling arguments that our tax rate even if it was cranked up a little bit would still be among the lowest in north america so so maybe we're nailing our own feet to the floor how would you characterize alberta's position in this context versus bc ontario and other
4: provinces All right so alberta for a very long time has enjoyed the luxury of the ability to spend more per person than other large provinces in the country this has been true for decades. Even at the end of the spending reductions in the Ralph Klein era in the 1990s, we still spent more uh, per person than the average amount in Alberta, Ontario, and BC. So that's one part of the advantage that Alberta had. Uh, The other part was that we were able to raise significant revenues for the provincial government uh, through sources of revenue beyond just taxes. We could keep taxes low because we enjoyed resource revenues and investment income that were significant. Even in the mid-1980s, You know, really rough time for Don Getty stretching in through to the 1990s, resource revenues still accounted for about 20% of every dollar raised by the Alberta government. But here we are today in a situation where resource revenues are accounting for basically uh, 10% over the past few years and projected to remain about that level for the next couple of years. We've never seen a situation today where, uh, sorry, we've never seen a situation in Alberta where resource revenues have accounted for so persistently a small share of the budget as this since the late 1940s, in fact. So that that Alberta advantage of low tax rates, high spending uh, levels, that's something that we're having a really difficult time maintaining right now, but just focused on taxes, uh, we're about one third below the national average. If you look across all tax rates uh, that provincial governments raise, uh, we're significantly lower than elsewhere. A big chunk of that is not having a sales tax, uh, of course, uh, but not just that. We have lower tax rates in a number of areas. But that $10 billion gap that we're talking about here, even if, you wanted to fully address it on the revenue side, which I mean may not be the the optimal thing to do, depending on your perspective. But even if you wanted to do that fully on the revenue side, we would still have the lowest tax rates in the country because overall Alberta's economy uh, remains, even despite uh, this this really challenging set of few years, including COVID. Uh, we remain among the strongest economies in the country.
0: And well, and, and I think there's a couple things worth pointing out here as well. Uh, you know number one um you know if if all uh investment attraction and and corporate the attract you know the the um recruitment of corporate headquarters if it was all just about low tax rates uh, you know all of the corporate head offices in the united states would be in you know nebraska and, and montana and and the places where they are not uh so that's not the only determining factor and number two um Alberta have the lowest tax rate by thirty percent, or twenty percent, or fifteen percent, or ten percent is still the lowest. And even if it wasn't, even if it was tied for the lowest, it's still the lowest. Um, but Ted, you work in marketing. Is, is this a fool's errand to to try to spin this like I'm spinning this, or, or or do you see some arguable facts here?
5: No, absolutely. I think I think Trevor's bang on. You asked me, Ryan, like how you approach it from a business perspective. We um, bring in less revenue per person and we spend more like from a business perspective, you might be able to get away with one of those strategies. You can't get away with both. So again, you know, reasonable people can disagree about which lever we want to pull and to what extent, Um, you know, I put me in the camp where I think there's there's need and room to pull on both. Um, So I'm, I'm with you that I think our, our revenue side does need to be addressed. Absolutely. I I'm, I'm not of the, maybe traditional business camp that says, you know, we can't ever look at taxes. I I don't agree with that. I think there are places where we would, I think shifts to, you know, put me in the camp also with a sales tax, you know, which I know is not popular with lots of people. Sometimes I think it's a far better way for us to raise stable revenue. Um, You know, if we can get back to balance, I would advocate for, you know, keeping and and bringing in consumption taxes like a sales tax over um, income taxes and other forms. I think it's a a better way to do it. Um, It's more predictable allows us to budget and plan better. I think it's more, you can see it easier. I think as a consumer, you understand where your choices are going and and all of those things. So if your question is, am I against the revenue side? Absolutely not. I I am against the notion that we should only solve this on the revenue side. I don't see why we would turn a blind eye to the idea that, you know, as Trevor's point, we've spent more than everyone else for a long time. Um, You know, I don't know that that's okay either. So I think this is a take a look at both sides and, and find the right approach.
0: Um, so so I, I think it might be kind of fun to get into this and I'm seeing that, that real talkers are doing this as well. They're, they're, they're going to the next 30.ca while we're talking and uh, they're participating in the exercise. I love this, one of our viewers, uh, let me scroll back here to find out who it was. So, uh, Someone says, hey, listen, I just came up with a $3 billion surplus um, so, so, we might want to put real talkers on the file here. Uh, that's William, he says, and I didn't even have to add healthcare premiums uh, to do it. Um, here's how I found 8 billion, uh, Ted and Trevor, and I'm, I'm curious for your assessment of this. Everybody's going to approach this differently. Um, I've been on the record in past saying that, that if I was calling the shots, if I was the premier, I would introduce a provincial sales tax. And, and I would ensure that Albertans had a, on a personal side, a flat tax, which I know that not everybody loves, but that to me is the trade-off for the sales tax. And so I would bring in a 5% PST. I would not touch uh, personal income tax. Um, I would uh, hand the doctors, the physicians, a 5% pay cut because that's what they put on the table. They have offered to take a 5% pay cut. I would accept it. Um, I'm pushing the corporate income tax back up to 10% from 8%. Uh, which is uh, where the NDP had it. It's where the UCP dropped it. Um, And I would reintroduce, and I know it's not popular to some people, but I think we need a reality check. I would introduce healthcare premiums, reintroduce them um, without... Uh, in other words, with 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 forgiveness, if you want, with with eligibility for people to abstain uh, based on income levels and other circumstances. Uh, Dr. Toome, how did I do? I don't see you twisting your face too much.
4: <laughs> well, I'm not, I'm not going to nitpick the choices uh, that that you make there. I think that's a reasonable portfolio that one could uh, one could defend. I think personally, I I really just look to two tools. And one is the, the carbon tax. If we bring that back from the federal government, uh, that's a significant source. Of revenue for the provincial government off of a tax that already exists. It's just all of the revenue is being uh, distributed by the federal government to individuals in the form of rebates. We could bring that back, shrink the rebates down to a genuinely low-income targeted one structured like BC. And then once we ramp up to $170 per ton, that's about $5 billion or so to the provincial government. So that plus a sales tax uh, over the long-term Ah, uh, coupled with spending restraints. So absolutely bringing spending per person down to uh, the average of the other large provinces, that right there is also enough to really close close the gap. So lots of different options here. I think that what's key is that we actually make choices and recognize that we have a fiscal challenge uh, uh, ahead of us. And we haven't done that for years. I mean, none of this is a critique on, the current government specifically. I mean, past premiers and past governments have enjoyed royalty revenues and past governments that didn't didn't enjoy them, like the former NDP government, all of their path to balance relied on rising resource revenues. They needed $12.3 billion by 2023 to balance under their plan. So we need to move away from uh, hoping uh, and gambling that resource revenues will rise to save the day. We need to make some choices uh, and whether one agrees or disagrees with every specific choice, it's much more important that we actually start to talk about choices and make those difficult decisions sooner rather than later.
0: Dr. Tim, you, you make a great point and, and I use you know I'll invoke the word blame and that's if, if our exercise is to assign blame, uh, let's agree that over the last number of decades there's plenty of blame to go around. but, but Ted, I suspect there's a, there's a, a reason why at the next30.ca, this is not an exercise in assigning blame. How much of this is simply getting people talking and getting people participating and putting these issues on people's radar?
5: Yeah, absolutely, Ryan. There's there's two things I think why governments, and I like how Trevor framed that because I, I think too often this budget conversation gets mired very quickly in ideology and, and some of the choices you might wanna make are probably gonna be driven by that, but we have had, um, you know, different governments in the last 10 years with different ideologies who essentially, as Trevor pointed out, have chosen to just punt on this issue. Um, so it, it's not just about ideology. It's about making choices and, and getting strategic. And I think the reason it's tough is, one, you typically need to take a longer view than a four-year election cycle to do this properly. This plan can't be um, you know, accomplished in one term. So we need to be looking at 10 and 15 years. And that's sort of where the next 30 came from, the idea of 30 years out. How are we gonna, How are we going to move these things forward? Didn't like what I was saying, right you just walked off. And then the, um, <laughs> and then the, and then the, um, you know, so I think election cycles make it difficult, but I think that's why people talking about it helps because maybe we can get past this idea that it's only about, you know, an election or a campaign cycle issue. And secondly, some of these choices historically have not been politically popular. No one, no one typically runs a campaign around, I'm going to raise your taxes or cut your services and, and has success with that. But I think Albertans for the most part, are reasonable. And if we share these facts, the budget tools intended to help do that. Um, I love your your Y station question of the week. It's helping do that as well. So that's great. People should check that out as well. If people understand what's at stake, if they understand the realities, if they get to play with some of those levers, they may not fully agree on the choices, but I think it becomes apparent that the do nothing, hope, wait for resource royalties to approve is not, that, that's not an option. Um, And what this tool is intended to do is allow people to experiment and see what they might like, but also maybe wake up to the fact that some of these naive statements that get made on both sides of, you know, well, we should just cut everything. You know, if we've got a $10 billion gap on a roughly $50 billion budget, are you really advocating for a 20% across the board of everything. Cause that's the only way to make the make the cutting strategy work. And on the other side, you know, the let's just tax everything um, play around with like high rate income taxes and see how much revenue you can generate just by changing those. You can't, you can't bring the budget even close to balance um, without getting absolutely extreme on one of those things. And I think that's what we need people to realize is that if you're going to advocate for a choice, understand the implications of that choice, understand what you're actually suggesting. And is it even viable to make that happen?
0: I I love that we have Doctor Toom here because I feel like I can I, I can throw a bunch of things at the wall and then see what sticks and he and he can just fact check it all and tell me if these are ridiculous ideas or if I'm on to something. But I, I mean I'm just reading here. You know, for example, Dylan's watching this morning and and he says the carbon tax was better than a PST because lowest income folks got rebates oftentimes higher than their costs. Just on a quick hit, let me say I hate that the carbon tax is being portrayed as some way to, to, to sort of open up the flood to general revenue. That's not the point at all. And that's how you get people hating on a carbon tax. If you start treating it like a way to pat our pockets and pay for healthcare, that's not what it's for. Um, there are some people that are talking about a wealth tax, Uh, let me say also that the wealthiest people in the world are the wealthiest people in the world because they find a way to evade paying a ton of taxes and they'll be gone like that. If you try to, I'm not suggesting that you can't try to find some way to to recoup some revenue, tax revenue, but I just don't think that's the answer. And then here's a, that's a qualified statement. And and here's a great one from Ben. Uh, Dr. Toon, why don't we, why don't we just throw this one right to you? Ben says, why don't we just start with the why? Like, Why should we even try to balance the budget at a time like this?
4: That's a great question. And I don't think we should balance the budget right now at a time like this. Governments run deficits during recessions and during tough times in order to smooth that shock out over time. If you were to maintain a balanced budget every single year, then during recessions, you'd be increasing taxes and decreasing spending. And during booms, you'd be doing Doing the reverse. And so that volatility in tax rates or spending levels it's definitely not an appropriate approach to public finance. So, at a time like this 2020, 2021, we ought to be running deficits. That's why government borrowing uh, exists to really cushion or try to cushion uh, the blow to the extent that it can. I think this conversation, though, is really uh, trying to think about later 2022, 23, and so on down the road after. Uh, the current shock. It's never too soon to plan for the future, and so, so to talk about uh, changing taxes or changing spending policies today—that's entirely appropriate. Recognizing that we wouldn't implement it until the recovery is well underway. This is interesting.
5: Yeah, go ahead, Ted. Can I just jump on that? Like, I so 100% agree with Trevor and agree with the the texture that you know maybe maybe today is not the the year that we we come to balance. But I also think the reason we have a 21 billion or whatever it'll be exactly on Thursday is that that extra 11 billion was for like the rainy day fund, you know, COVID, all these other things. The reason we've got this 10 billion pieces because we were running it even when times were good. Um, so we have not had a pattern, you know, you know. Trevor can give the the exact number, but in the last 10 years, we've had some pretty good economic years. We weren't balancing the budget then either. Um, so th- this idea that you know now we have a pandemic, so we can't balance. Yeah, we don't have to balance the 21 billion, um, but the 11 billion that went to COVID-related matters or, or offset because revenues were going to decrease, that's supposed to be what happens when you run into a, a difficult time. I think we've got to get serious about how do you have some stability in that? Because if you're going to use the idea that we should run deficits in tough times, then we got to bring in surpluses in good times. And we don't have a ha- pattern of doing that at all. We have a pattern of running deficits in all times. And I think that's where the problem is.
0: It's, it's a great point, Ted. And, and quite frankly, I mean, you know, this is, this is difficult. I, I think of the, the wonderful Canadian show that, that swept the Emmys. I think of Shit's Creek and the whole premise of Schitt's Creek and how they got there and and the rude awakening of a very wealthy family that all of a sudden finds itself, uh, you know, in relative squalor. Uh, I'm not suggesting that that's all of us Albertans, but we're used to beautifully paved highways, right? Right up until Lloyd Minster, uh, where sometimes it gets a little bit different. And we're used to new schools and new hospitals. Heck, back in the in the nineties, we blow up hospitals uh, if we didn't think that we needed them or weren't getting the most use out of them. I mean, Albertans have had, myself included. I mean, this all comes back to what Jim Prentice was saying with, with, with regards to look in the mirror, right? We've, we've not made tough choices. We've enjoyed um, fabulous resources. You know, one of the things Trevor that I wanted to do as I approached this exercise is I, I said, I wanted to make a couple of commitments because politicians have to be able to do this. We know this. They have to be able to look into the, the cameras. They have to be able to look at the electorate. And I wanted to be able to say two things. I didn't touch healthcare spending aside from doctor's compensation, and I didn't touch education spending, including teacher salaries. Now, that's another big question. There are some big negotiations coming up with the public sector in this government. You have to assume that those negotiations will start at 0% increases, but I suspect that the government's going to be looking to hand out some pay cuts, too.
4: Yeah. And we should remember that public sector compensation is roughly half of the entire budget. So it's not unreasonable for a government to look there for savings. I mean, even the prior uh, government under the NDP was fairly aggressive at the bargaining table pursuing those, uh, those zeros. And those zeros do represent real reductions in compensation because inflation means that from one year to the next, prices of everything out there rising by roughly 2% per year. So zeros sustained over time uh, do generate material reductions in uh, government spending per person when you adjust for uh, inflation. I think you're right. The current government is uh, very likely pushing for uh, reductions. Uh, And we saw that in 1993 um, when Ralph Klein came in, there were 5% reductions to public sector compensation uh, when that happened. But it's important... And this tool reveals it to keep in mind that there's no magic bullet here. And that 5% uh, reduction, even if it were achieved, and I don't think uh, that's where we're headed. It just is not enough to completely fill uh, that gap. So it's really hard to do this entirely on the spending side. It's really hard to do it entirely just on the compensation side. Uh, So we do need to have a balanced perspective here and recognize that uh, there's no one quick fix that we can adopt.
0: Ted, you're, a big part of your business is, is messaging and communications. Um, politicians across the board are guilty of this, but the fact is Jason Kenney's premier right now, he, he, he has um, set in stone, it appears to me, um, some, some, some foundational principles that will not allow him, number one, to be, the, to be the Alberta premier that introduces a sales tax forever in history remembered. I don't think Jason Kenney wants to be that guy. And he seems absolutely adamant, and I've heard him say it many times, uh, including last week, that he is adamantly opposed to uh, imposing a new tax on Albertans uh, by way of a sales tax or otherwise uh, in the midst of a global economic recession. Do these principles or do these hard stands, do you think hurt the government's position when it comes to exploring different budget avenues?
5: Yeah. I think drawing a hard line on anything is never helpful in terms of trying to find the alternatives that we need. Again, I, I think it's this, this case of, you know, both, bo, I mean, you can, I, I think you can talk about it from both the NDP and the UCP perspective. It's almost like a game of chicken I'm virtually certain if we gave truth serum to, to both sides, they would acknowledge that a sales tax likely is in the cards, but no one wants to blink first. You know, they they don't they would love to be the one to campaign against it because it would seem easier and, and more fun to be on that side of the equation. So no one wants to be the one to introduce it. And I, I get it, I, I don't I don't envy the premier. Some of these are difficult conversations, but that is, in my opinion, what leadership is supposed to be about. Sometimes it is about advocating for a change that is necessary, that maybe is not popular at the time. And at a even if we're not going to introduce some of these spending changes or revenue changes today or this week in this budget to Trevor's point, I don't understand why we're not at least bringing them up as these are the paths that we need to take. This is what it needs to look like. We are going to start to implement in year one, bigger changes in year two and three major changes by year five, lay it out for Alberta so that we can see it, have the courage to um, share that road ahead. Because otherwise, I think what you're really doing is that you're just looking my 8- and 11-year-old in the eye and tell them it's going to be their problem to deal with. And the rest of us are just going to sit, stand idly by. And that really takes me off. So I think we have to do a better job than we are right now. Just
4: quickly, if I can, uh, build on that. I think the government is very slowly dipping its toe into the waters of having this broader conversation. We saw in November they released a very detailed fiscal Update because, of course, the budget released earlier in 2020 was blown out of the water by, by COVID. But in that update in November, they announced a commitment to three foundational pillars that will guide their fiscal policy going forward. And I think, though they didn't say it explicitly, those three together imply new taxes or higher taxes. Their first pillar was to align per capita spending with comparator provinces that is, BC, Ontario. In Quebec, and that goal will be achieved by 2022-23, and there will still be that roughly $10 billion uh, deficit that year. Their second pillar was to keep uh, Alberta's net debt to GDP ratio below 30%. That basically means that if we're going to keep spending aligned with the other large provinces beyond 22 23 and not allow debt to exceed 30%, then we need uh, to increase revenues, either through higher tax rates or new taxes. So either the government is going to abandon the three pillars that they committed to in November, or they're going to need to start to think about the revenue side of the budget. And I think them laying down those pillars is part of this broader, very slow, very Mm -hmm. subtle uh, strategy to start that revenue conversation.
0: So there's a, a possibility panel uh, that, that people, they've completed this uh, exercise. Some, some folks have, have, have shaved the, the deficit down. Some have eliminated and some have found a surplus at the next 30.ca. Now they can attend this possibility panel. It's tomorrow, obviously a virtual event. It's free uh, through the website. Ted, what can people expect as part of that?
5: Yeah, we've been running a series of, of these sessions over the last couple of months. This is going to be our seventh one. We've run other ones on, on, economic diversification, energy and climate, a more inclusive social fabric. So this one's on the provincial budget, as you said, tomorrow from two to 4 PM, it's free. Um, the next 30.ca, you can sign up, you can play with the budget tool there, but you can also sign up and attend They're highly interactive, Ryan. So they're not just come and listen to some talking heads. You know, you'll, have to put up with trevor and i for a few minutes of the agenda but there's also lots of time we do small breakout groups they're you know they're virtual the feedback's been amazing we get lots of engagement people with you know different opinions engaging in a real um positive way it, it's sort of the opposite of what it feels like when you try to have those conversations i think on social media so i'd encourage people to come out tomorrow if you've got a perspective on the budget what we should do some big ideas some new thoughts that we haven't considered um yeah sign up be there between two and four it uh, i think it's
0: Awesome. Uh, Dr. Jim anything uh, we want to g- always want to give everyone a chance. To, so the, the worst thing that can happen is we say thank you to you and you walk away going, I wish I would have had a chance to say that last <laughs> thing. Uh, we'll give last word to you.
4: Well, I, I think we really covered it. And I guess I will just end by reemphasizing the need to recognize that choices will have to be made. Right. This is a problem. Uh, a challenge that will not solve itself. But Alberta is lucky that we have a lot of options available. And so we can uh, debate and discuss and consider all of those options and move forward in a sensible and responsible way.
0: Awesome. Uh, that's Dr. Trevor Toom, uh, an economist well known out of the University of Calgary, Ted Currie, who's a legend in Alberta's business community is the the founder and president of Insight Strategy, co-founder of The Next 30. You can find it at thenext30.ca. Fellas, thank you for this. We appreciate your insight.
4: Thank, thank you. you. Take care.
0: So, so, Real Talkers, here's the deal. We've we've got uh, two assignments for you, uh, really. Uh, it, it's, it's certainly an interesting exercise. I encourage you to, to take it on uh, at thenext30.ca to find that $10 billion solution to to uh, making your way through that deficit and cutting it down. And then of course, at ryanjesperson.com, our question of the week this week, uh, presented by our friends at Y Station, the official research and strategy partner of Real Talk, same deal, we wanna know, we want you to answer some, some tough questions on how you would manage this budget. It's super easy for us to sit here as as, as you know the armchair finance ministers and criticize what we're seeing from this government, from governments in past. But when the rubber hits the road and when it's our decision to make it, gets a little bit more tough. And I participated in the exercise myself uh, on both fronts, I've answered our question of the week. I've done this exercise at the next 30ca I know some of you think that some of my ideas are absolutely terrible, and uh, that's fine. The whole point of this is to talk it out. So I really appreciate the team at The Next 30 for doing that. Wanted to remind you that uh, we are very proud to partner with the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. When it comes to 2021, it's a big year for the Jeep lineup, and that includes the fuel-efficient uh, Jeep Compass. That includes... The Jeep Wrangler, of course, that Gladiator truck that everybody's talking about. There's the 7-passenger Jeep Grand Cherokee, and then, of course, you have got the Jeep Grand Wagoneer as well. You're not going to find a better selection when it comes to the Jeep and Dodge lineup in the province of Alberta than you will at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Give us some spot and team there uh, if you'd like to learn more about how Jeep can be a great fit for you or your family. Also, want to encourage you to check out the team at Westworld Computers if you're looking to upgrade your setup. Uh, whether it's a, a watch, whether it's a new iPhone, an iPad, the MacBook Pro, the iMac, and we can run our way through the whole lineup. The reason that I'm able to list them off that quickly is because I just picture what we're using in the Real Talk Studio on a daily basis. Daryl and his team have ensured us. There's Samuel G. Brooks making it all happen, buddy. I'm missing you this morning. How, I know we're talking about Westworld. Let me wrap up quickly and then we'll check in with Sam. Uh, The team at Westworld has been in business for more than 40 years, helping families and businesses find their solutions. And you can go see them just off Mayfield Road, of course, right here in the capital city of Alberta, Edmonton, Alberta. If you're just tuning in right now, I'm at home because of uh, a a contact that tested positive for COVID. I'm waiting on my test today at 11 o'clock. I feel great. Thank you all for, for your encouragement. I'm feeling fine, but we want to do this the right way, of course, obviously. And so I'm isolating until I'm able to secure a negative test. Sam has been has been co-piloting this thing. And uh, and when it comes to, you know, overcoming technical challenges, there's there's been a few bumps in the road, Sam. But I think you are nailing it this morning, pal. How are you feeling? I, uh,
1: I, I'm i a lot calmer now. So, you know, when we first signed on. Um, uh, just, you know, I will be absolutely transparent with our viewers. We had you on Skype. We had our, our guests on Zoom. Uh, the point to behind that was to isolate you onto your own feed so that when I'm getting the guests ready, it's like you're in the studio with me. I've got you on your own camera over here, separate. Uh, that was really slowing down our network. We moved you over to Zoom. Things are swimming along. So, uh, like, I'll tell everybody the first eh, 20 minutes or so, you're going to want to listen to the podcast instead, but uh, it's gonna be it's going to be smooth sailing after that.
0: Yeah, you know, you know uh, our, the, the, uh, the really tuned in real talkers got a peek uh, behind the curtain when Ted Curry there said to me, uh, he was talking about his plan to balance the budget and, and all of a sudden I got up and left. Um, it's because he's seen two windows, right? As soon as you took me off camera, I went and I topped up my beverage in the kitchen, still listening to what he had to say. <laughs> yeah, and he was seeing, he was seeing the off broadcast feed, which you might call our preview feed, and he thought that I just walked away from the conversation. So, no offense to Ted, I didn't think that his answer was that bad.
1: <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, and I mean things are not going to look. Super polished today because you know one of the things that I do when I'm getting a guest ready is I put you on camera And then that way I can you know quickly rejig the zoom windows that the right person is displaying on the screen Uh, I don't have any of those tools today, so we're gonna do it live
0: Yeah, well hey, put it this way Sam is the one wearing the vest and wearing the tie this morning and he's the one that showed up to really hammer this out and Sam we're grateful for that. Um, We obviously had a big show yesterday and uh, Daniel Smith a former colleague of mine um, now a former talk show host after she she walked away uh, on her own terms uh, from uh, you know a very popular uh, talk platform a flagship talk show platform and she joined us for an hour yesterday uh, to talk about that, we got into some of the more controversial moments of her career uh, and, and some of her um, you know more controversial perspectives, and we were absolutely flooded with feedback. And so I wanted to take an opportunity to, number one, thank you all for tuning in. It was uh, by way of podcast downloads. It's one of our most popular shows uh, in the history of the show. We knew that it would be. Um, viewer engagement was strong, and of course, that includes our email inbox. You can send us an email anytime at talk at ryanjesperson.com. We always want you to know you have a voice on this show and we uh, care very much about how you feel about what you're hearing. We hope that this has prompted a, a thought exercise with you, whether it, it has prompted you to, to, to question some of the beliefs that you have, whether it's a political, fiscal, uh, or otherwise, or, or, or whether it reiterates your perspective. We put our thoughts uh, through these challenges. They become forged by fire, so to speak. And uh, and we move on. I appreciated hearing from Elroy. Elroy sent me an email to talk at Ryan He says Elroy says the classic collision of faith and science. He sent us in right after the interview. He says it's hard to argue, argue logic with an emotional case. Dialogue erased and replaced with blanket statements, racist, climate denier, conspiracy theorist much love that from Elroy kind of feels like a bit of a haiku I know it doesn't follow the formula but there you go Uh, this was an interesting one that 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 we received and and we got a ton of emails uh, specifically as mentioned about the interview with Danielle and I wanted to get to some of those in particular Donna says Ryan I'm, I'm writing in specifically to tell you how much I appreciate that interview that you had with Danielle Smith I was relieved Uh, to hear her question you. And I was relieved to listen to her answers to your questions. Uh, I used to enjoy listening to her when she filled in for you on your radio show. But but since the pandemic, I've been troubled by the fact that she had a platform, a megaphone, really, for her beliefs. And then you actually brought that up and talked about it in the interview yesterday. So though she says she is for freedom, says Donna, it, it struck me more as, selfishness and by the way i'm glad you asked her if she thought that donald trump should be banned from twitter or whatever and i thought that her answer just shows how she thinks thanks so much for what you do at real talk i've watched every day from the beginning that from donna that's incredible donna and thank you for tuning in angela wrote in and said you know it's great of you to have daniel smith on the show I, i i love to hate her says angela and i was super excited for the interview but i was kind of frustrated by a lot of her responses, she seems to really rely on that politician dodge when it comes to a lot of issues. No real accountability for her opinion. For example, her stance on reopening the province, but you know, don't use her opinion to back up your protest. I mean, if that makes sense. Angela says, I, I, I despise people falling back on acting as though they don't know or they're unaware of certain implications. She almost seems to play dumb sometimes, but she's very smart. And she does know what she's saying. Angela wonders, "Do you get frustrated interviewing or talking to her?" She says, "Also, thanks for taking the time to read some of our comments and emails. It's what holds you accountable and what keeps you accessible." That from Angela. Thanks very much. I don't get frustrated talking to Danielle. You've got to be sharp uh, talking to Danielle. I think I think there was some obfuscation. Uh, yesterday. I think that she, um, you know, as many people do, um, especially savvy communicators, including politicians or former politicians, uh, I think that they can create noise around issues which which uh, distract from the fact that, that they're not maybe really answering the questions they've been asked. I think that she mischaracterized a few things, including my departure from Chorus Radio and who was responsible for that. Obviously, she's standing by some of her positions on alternative COVID therapies, and I'm not going to call them that. Let me let me say uh, therapies that have been ruled out by health professionals, including hydroxychloroquine. I thought that was interesting. Um, obviously, uh, many of you took issue with what she had to say. Some of you absolutely loved the interview. I mean, Cam wrote in to say, I really, really enjoyed the conversation between you and Danielle. Uh, I couldn't help but think that she And you, Ryan, would be perfect for a more focused conversation every Monday. Cam says, you talked about those meet in the middle Mondays. Responsible, respectful, one-on-one debate on controversial issues is really hard to come by these days. Uh, Cam says, I really am enjoying Real Talk's continuing evolution. That's a great way to put it, Cam. That's what we're doing. We're continually evolving this show, and I appreciate you phrasing it that way. George wrote in to say, watching Real Talk Monday morning, uh, I know why I love Danielle. She's balanced, wise, compassionate. She was not raised in a Christian home, and she defends the pastor at Grace Life Church about his principles and our right to worship and how government is circumventing our rights. You, Ryan, on the other hand, raised in a Christian home, seemingly go out of your way to criticize the principles that your family holds dearly. Not sure how you can rationalize this with the way you were raised. Uh, This from George, who has no idea how the hell I was raised and what my family holds dear. But George, I appreciate you making the assumption. He says, it's disappointing to see that the COVID issue has become so divisive. And unless you (laughs) consider the source. Um, And unless you agree with the rhetoric being pandering to the government, you are branded wrong. Danielle gave us a refreshing insight into what is really going on. George says, maybe you should take a few lessons from her. And I think there'd be a whole lot more respect for you. As usual, you bring her on, make nice, and then bang, start to crucify her because she doesn't agree with you. That from George. This one from Bruce, who says, Ryan, Monday was my first time tuning into your show. Danielle Smith recommended it. Uh, I can't say I'm a believer in your opinions, but let's give it time. Bruce says, I'm disappointed in your views on COVID lockdowns. Uh, Maybe when all the scary hype disappears and we start counting the deaths in comparison to destroyed businesses and huge federal deficits, we can begin to have real open discussions. Bruce says scientists or medical experts do not speak to our destroyed economy or to the many other negative effects of lockdowns such as suicides and other issues. Hell, science and medical fear pundits get paid. These people are not the ones on wage subsidies. Bring on open dialogue, says Bruce, but reduce the COVID fear mongering from Bruce. I want to respond to a a couple of the things that Bruce says. I mean, calling COVID or a pandemic scary hype is is obviously just totally ignorant. Uh, When he talks about start counting the deaths in comparisons to destroyed businesses, let's do that. Let's talk about 500,000 Americans dead. Let's talk about tens of thousands of Canadians dead or Uh, Living with what will be the symptoms of long COVID, including respiratory problems for the rest of their lives. These are people in their 30s and 40s and 50s, hopefully with many more decades on the planet. Let's talk about the fact that the suicide rate is actually down over this past year than it has been over the past five years, which, while every death by suicide is obviously tragic, somewhat of a good news story. In a way, suicides are down. Now, do we know why we'll continue to rely on the expertise and the observations of mental health professionals? We're still in this one. We're still in the trenches, but statistics show that suicides are down. And I think that approaching uh, something like health management of a pandemic based on the business realities is ignorant. Now, we have talked many times about how we need to find a balance between preserving the health or protecting the health of the population and protecting the health of the economy. And that's a constant exercise that I'm sure we've talked about dozens of times uh, in the relative infancy of this show. Angie wrote in to say, Ryan, thanks for having Danielle Smith on your show on Monday. Um, It was a great interview. Although your comment about her and tiki torches hurt her. I'm sure that from Angie, Uh, I'll touch on that in a minute. She says, when you, when you speak to the pastor uh, from Grace Life Church uh, that's locked up in the Edmonton remand right now, I had written down that, that you said that people are buying in and how the pastor is handling himself is basically a slap in the face to Canadians. Angie says, I, I don't really know anybody that's buying into the narrative, and, and we feel like the pastor is standing up for Canadians. I mean, considering the number of people that attended Grace Life Church on Sunday, considering the fact that the number doubled, I am not alone in my thoughts. Angie says, I took the time to listen to the pastor's sermon uh, from December 20th, as well as his sermon on February 14th, to try to understand his position. Angie, I commend you for that. She says, I'm not religious and I have experienced, our family has experienced a COVID death. I'm sorry for your loss. She says, but I, co- I completely disagree with how this pandemic is being handled in this country, pandemic in quotes, by the way, she says it has nothing to do with our health and everything to do with politics. She says, my doctor friends and EMTs agree with me, but they can't speak out, so we'll never hear that side. Angie says, I just wanted to give my opinion, but I can tell from the, the, the little that I listened to you before Danielle came on, uh, that you and your listeners may not agree with my sentiments. And that's okay, says Angie, as long as we can continue to have open dialogue. I appreciate that. I also want to reiterate that that my listeners or real talkers do not simply align with one perspective. Um, and, and I can tell you this with confidence because of what we see on our hashtag RealTalkRJ from what we see from responses from you, the the more than 1,000 of you every single week that go to ryanjesperson.com and that fill out our question of the week. We do have diverse perspectives here. We have people that vote for different political parties. We have people from different ethnic and religious backgrounds, from different age demographics. And that's what makes in my mind for healthy discussion when it comes to community. And she did talk about my talk of tiki torches and how she perceives that it hurt Danielle. And that that was one of the the comments or the questions that Danielle really pushed back on yesterday. When I said to her, you know, that this anti-lockdown rally and I'm paraphrasing what I said, you can watch the full interview of course, by uh, subscribing to our YouTube channel. If you subscribe to our podcast, if you're listening to our podcast while you're walking your dog, while you're doing the dishes, while you're making dinner, while you're working away, thank you for that. Um, You can listen to the interview in its entirety. But to paraphrase, I said to Danielle, this rally, this this end the lockdown rally over the weekend, you know, these are your support. These are your people, basically, I said. And I said, and we see representation there from groups like Proud Boys and others. And does it concern you? I said, we see tiki torches, you know, that that has come to symbolize uh, unabashed racism. We talked to al Sohi and Senator Paula Simons about that earlier this morning. Does that concern you? And Danielle really pushed back on that. She's, uh, I, think, I think she said preposterous. She said that's, that's, prepos- or that's outrageous or, or preposterous to suggest that these are my people. Um, some of you pushed back on that. I stand by the statement. Um, I am not saying that I think Danielle Smith has a Proud Boys uh, vest hanging in her closet. Obviously not. I know Danielle better than that personally uh, to, to even suggest that. But it is no secret. I mean, Danielle Smith uh, is hosting uh, this event or or did host. I'm trying to remember if it was last night or it's coming up. But this week hosted an event sponsored by uh, these groups. Um, You know, she's talking to Drew Barnes, the end the lockdown caucus, these anti-lockdown rallies. They're bringing on retired Lieutenant Colonel David Redmond, who we had on our show a couple of weeks ago and, and then had him fact checked by a panel of physicians. We also spoke to Drew Barnes on the show because we're not afraid of these conversations because we promise you we will have these conversations. We will seek to understand. We will have meaningful dialogue. But Danielle is literally uh, hosting an event for people advocating to end the lockdown. So I stand by my comment that I think that it's safe to suggest. And I circled back to clarify in the interview when she pushed back, which, which I was a slight bit surprised. At, at how vociferously she pushed back. Um, my comment to her was, if you were to pull people there at that rally, or if you were to pull people arguing to end the lockdown and ask them if they were to listen, uh, it, it, you know, six months ago, if they were listening to AM radio, were they listening to Daniel Smith or Ryan Jesperson? I would suggest that the majority of people there would be listening to Daniel Smith. And uh, I think that's about a safe a statement Um, If they were to choose between her show or my show, I think that's about as safe a statement as I could make. The point of the question was to imply or suggest that she has an understanding of what makes these folks tick. Uh, These folks find, I think, alignment in some of her principles on things like freedom. She told us yesterday, the reason why she doesn't think she's cut out for talk radio right now. The reason why she thinks she's quote unelectable is because Quote, she loves her freedom too much. And that on the surface is what these rallies purport to be all about. And that was the question that I asked. Angie, I really appreciate your email. You know, friends, you can send us an email anytime. Again, talk at ryanjesperson.com or you just go to our website, ryanjesperson.com. You look in the top right-hand corner and you click talk to us. And that's a great resource uh, for us as we attempt, of course, to ensure that what you want to hear and what you think is important are issues that we reflect on our broadcasts. We're going to meet a remarkable real talker in just a moment. This is the type of individual that does things that I wouldn't even wish upon my worst enemy. There, there, are, there are marathons, which even the, the word marathon evokes a physical response. And then there are ultra marathons. And we're going to find ultra marathoners scoff. At marathoners ultra marathoners are the real deal and we're gonna meet one in just a moment but before we do I wanted to remind you all that we're so grateful to be partnering with teams like Park Power Park Power has been in business in the province of Alberta coming up on 10 years and they make a remarkable commitment to their fellow Albertans that they're going to take 10% of their profits every year and plug them back into the community. That's how they support nonprofits, and it's what makes us so proud to partner with them. I love this message from Corey from Grand Prairie. He reached out to us. He said, I just wanted to let you know our household signed up for Park Power. We're looking forward to a switch that employs all staff local to Alberta and gives back to the community. Plus, they support Real Talk. Corey says, we're also going to be going to your website, Ryan, to look into other sponsors to see what's available in our area. That's from Corey in Grand Prairie. Amazing stuff, Corey. Remember, if you go to parkpower.ca, use the promo code 2021 Talk to save 70% off your first bill, whether it's natural gas, electricity, or internet. We're also very proud to be partnered up with the team at Eden Landscaping. You can check out LandscapeEdmonton.ca for more on what they're doing. Hey, we know that 2021 is maybe gonna mirror 2020 when it comes to how we're spending our summers. Relatively distance, not a lot of big traveling. So why not take maybe some of the money you've got swirled away for a vacation and invest into your own backyard? What about an outdoor kitchen? What about a fire pit? What about a swim spot? They do it all and they'd love to talk to you and you can find Eden Landscaping again, under the sponsors you have, at All right. I've been looking forward to talking to our next guest since she first uh, reached out. I think it was the, the subject line of her initial email that caught my attention. As soon as I saw the word ultra marathon, I thought, yeah, we got to meet, we got to meet Laura Scherer Townsend and we got to figure out what makes her tick. So Laura, we're so grateful you've made time for us this morning. Allow me to officially welcome you to Real Talk we're just going to get you off mute. I think you're on mute. It's okay. I did it 10 minutes ago myself, my friend. So don't sweat it. But as soon as we get your audio, we'll get it going.
6: There we'll we get go. There you are. I Welcome am. To the there show. I am. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, wow. I'm honored. And it's awesome that you introduced Park Power because he's actually, they are actually a sponsor for our race, Survivor Fest. What? Yeah. Whenever I listen to your show, I'm always like, They're a sponsor for Survivor Fest. They're a sponsor for Survivor Fest. So, um, you know, when you surround yourself by good people, great things happen. So, yeah, it's uh, okay. But the one sponsor, the one sponsor we don't have is bitcoin and wells or no there's no ant right but you know i'm thinking come on adam o'brien come on racers you know we don't make much money how about a little prize money for the top females and males racing at our race come on adam show us the money
0: She's been on the show for 45 seconds, and she's already calling out the title sponsor. I love it, Laura. Before, before we go any, and I wouldn't actually be surprised if they step up, but that's not for me to say. Um, Laura, let, okay. Before I want to pick your brain. I want to hear about ultra marathons. you I use this as a compliment. You, you are a maniac uh, because you have set you have set this goal that is so ambitious, and I love it. Um, but Aww. but you've talked about Survivor Fest. So why don't we set the scene by understanding what Survivor Fest is all about and how you got to this point in your personal life?
6: So um, Survivor Fest is a timed running event. It's an annual event where we raise money for Saffron Center, hence the, the name Survivor Fest. Um, and it's also a... International Association of Ultra Runners bronze qualifying event, which means that athletes come to run six hours, 12 hours, 24 hours around our track. And some athletes um, are are hoping to qualify for the Canadian national team or set world records or age group records uh, around the track because it takes place at a 400 meter track in Strathcona County. And uh, so it's flat and fast, and yeah, last la, not last year was canceled due to COVID, but then uh, the year before we were, which was our first event, we raised over three thousand dollars for Saffron Center, and we were able to uh, qualify two individuals for the twenty four national, sorry, the twenty four hour national team, the Canadian team, so they went to Ireland to represent Canada.
0: So this is, why does this resonate with you personally? What's your, what's your connection to Saffron Center and and why are you, why are you doing this?
6: So I'm, I'm a survivor of sexual violence. So uh, it was great hearing Irene last week, come on and it takes a huge amount of courage to, to come forward and share your, like my story, her story, uh, because it's, it's a hard topic to talk about, but I'm a survivor. Um, and so I started this mission that you were speaking about earlier. Call uh, I call it my 50 ultras before 50 mission. I completed number 35 last week in Calgary. <laughs> that <laughs> I emailed you right after, and you were like, "What?" Um, so because
0: it was like to 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 remind people, uh, you ran an ultra marathon in Calgary last. It was like minus what was it? Minus 25.
6: It was minus thirty-three with the wind. Chill. Minus thirty
0: three. Like is that even yes. that's not even safe, is it?
6: Uh well, there there's a lot of lot of people say it isn't. Um I practice a lot. Like I run in everything. Um, so I've figured out exactly what to wear, exactly what to eat. Um it it's a practice, right? Like it's not like it's just like running fifty kilometers or an ultra marathon. It's not like you go out the door and and that's what you're running. It's all build up and training, and um, so I had been running uh, even the weeks pr- prior when it was minus I don't yeah thirty five and minus yeah and and I've just I've just figured out what layers of clothing to wear, what socks, all that that works, and so.
0: Laura, what what, ultra marathons are, what's the distance we're talking about? I mean, first of all, there's the whole running for 24 hours thing, which has immediately turned you into a celebrity with real talkers. Uh, Let me just read some of the comments here because I I hope you you need to hear some of these. Uh, Like, um, like this is amazing. One, one uh, viewer says I I, I don't think that I've run for 24 hours in my entire life total, Uh, which, which is amazing. That from Travis. Um, uh, Kaylin's watching from Vancouver. She says, wait, hang on a second, 24 hours, just running around and around a track that takes incredible mental stamina. What a great cause Terry writes in just to say, hang on running for 24 hours. So there's that, but the, but the ultra marathon itself is, is that a standard distance every time you're going to run 50 of these before you turn 50?
6: So typically anything that's over 42.2 kilometers is considered an ultramarathon, but generally um, the races, the, the ultramarathon race distance generally starts at 50k, then there's the 50 miler, then 100 kilometers, um, 100 milers, which is 160 kilometers, and now there's even events where there's 200 milers down in the States these timed running events are actually very popular down in the States. I think because their weather is a little more conducive for timed running events. And so I knew um, from other running friends that I have, they had gone down to the States and done um, these timed running events. So they're so I thought, you know, there's, there's not many events like this here in Alberta. So let's, let's bring it here. And the response was fantastic. I mean, we only had 38 athletes for our first event. But the cool thing was, is everybody had such a good time. They all registered, like as soon as registration opened, There, we had probably an 80% return rate of, of athletes because they had such a good time going around this track, Which, which it blows my mind as well because one of the reasons I decided to bring this event was I thought, I would never want to run around a 400-meter track for 6, 12, or 24 hours. My ultramarathons, I enjoy going through the mountains, on trails. Um, the more scenery, the better. And so naturally, 400-meter track, there is no scenery, and it's boring. Like, I, I forget which listener had said, you know, Yeah, the scenery is absolutely horrid. So, but you start, but that's where the timed running events become really social. So, the people that are slower get to run beside faster runners. There's conversations that happen. There's a lot of bonding that happens because you're with each other for that entire time. So, you see the good, the bad, the ugly. And I think you come out like just. I, I often um, on our Facebook and Instagram page, I often say Survivor Fest Family because we do feel like a family after being together, you know, in that, in that space for that amount of time and yeah, experiencing all that together.
0: Well, and, and I would imagine that there's, there's probably more to it than simply just overcoming the physical challenge together. Uh, than, than just doing the fundraising, but also coming together um, to address something that, that is, is one of, uh, in my mind, uh, I, I mean, one of the more devastating, uh, how do I even put it? I mean, let me, let me put it in the words of a viewer here, Kim, who says, what an amazing outcome of a terrible story. Um, you know, your, your personal experience as a survivor of sexual violence, um, that type of experience can, uh, and, and in many cases does, completely destroy... Uh, if not lead to the end of someone's life. And um, let me ask you this. I, you know, one of the reasons I, I hike for about 100K every summer with the same group of guys and um, yeah, the views are great and the, the exercise is great and everybody knows how I feel about fresh lake trout. I don't need to go off on that. Uh, those, These are the benefits, but you know what I love, Laura, uh, the most of it? Um, are the quiet hours by myself. We don't hike together typically. Um, Oftentimes we're spread out over a couple of K even. And I tackle tough questions and I wrestle with issues in my own mind. And I attempt to find resolution to things. And oftentimes they can be painful exercises. Do you find based on your personal experience or the bigger picture of, of who you're helping and what you're accomplishing that through oftentimes these 24 hours on a track there's a lot going on between your ears.
6: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, and that's probably one of the reasons I, I love it so much. Uh, growing up, uh, I grew up on a farm. And even though I was physically active and on sports teams, I hated running. Um, I just, like, when the coach would say, okay, we're going to go do laps before soccer practice, I would just cringe and kind of inside think to myself, why? We're going to be running through practice the entire time. But, yeah, now um, with the distances that I run, there is, like, I used to run a lot with music. I still do a little bit and listen to a lot of podcasts, but there's a lot of runs where I just go running by myself without anything between, like, listening like you said, and with my, just my brain between my ears, right? And a lot of great ideas come to me, but yes, a lot of processing and a lot of um, um, who I am today has come from the the trails and, and the runs that I've done. A lot of times it's with friends, but a lot of times it's been by myself. Like, again, these timed running events, when I first thought about it, I thought, oh man, there's no way I'd want to do that because I actually look forward to so in these ultra runs they have aid stations like five to seven kilometers apart so between those aid stations you're running by yourself and sometimes you meet a friend or two but a lot of times you're running solo and so when you get to these aid stations like I get a lot of energy because there's people there there's food there's drink they're excited to see you and so then you leave and you've you've got this like okay I've got energy to get to the next aid station but then there's this quiet lull where you're you're looking around at the at you know the views listening to the birds and 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 like you described you're with yourself and your in your thoughts and Uh, memories of, of past. And uh, it's incredible. Like it's, I I firmly believe the world would be a better place if we all ran. Did I think this 20 years ago? No, but (laughs) now I do. I'm a complete like believer and, and sometimes runners will talk about this being our church (laughs) because it, it is very spiritual in some ways.
0: Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's my favorite John Muir quote. Um, which is, um, uh, what is it? I don't want to blow it now. I think he says, um, I I'd rather be in the, um, Oh shoot. Now I'm going to blow it. But he says something along the lines of, I'd rather be, uh, in the mountains thinking about God, as opposed to sitting in church, thinking about the mountains. Mm mm-hmm. Um, which which I think is a powerful quote. We're getting some hilarious responses here. Um, Heidi uh, on our, on our line, on our chat line. And I know that Heidi's joking, obviously. So no, she says, I used to have a customer who did ultra marathons and he told me that he loved watching the sunrise and set and rise again (laughs) while he was running. And I wanted to light him on fire. (laughs) Which is amazing. Um, do you know? Does the name Carrie Wagon mean something to you? Yes.
4: She's oh my God.
0: Yes. She's watching. She says I have. To... Tell me about it. She,
6: she won. Um, so we have awards at our at our race. The first year uh, we were so busy getting everything ready, like with the timing and the volunteers that um, we were prepared to have awards at the second year. And one of our awards is called the Al Howie Award. And so it's given to the 24 hour runner who um, also gives back to the community. And so Carrie decided because um, our race was canceled in 2020 to do her own 24 hour Survivor Fest around her campground. And she let everybody know because it was it was during COVID. So she just let everybody at the campground know this is what I'm doing, and uh, I'm um, typically I do this running event, and all the proceeds go to Saffron Center. So there were um, a lot of donations that came forward where they donated the money to saffron center or made donations to saffron center so my race team and i decided that even though there was no race that we would award carrie the al howie award and uh so yeah hi
0: carrie (laughs) well let me let me not deny you the compliment that she's passed along she says i've had the privilege uh to both run and adventure i love adventure used as a verb she says i've had the privilege to adventure with laura and she's a beautiful and supportive person, and I just love her. Um, let, me, let me ask you, am I reading this correctly? I, I, I suspect I may have buried the lead here. Um, have you run 480 days in a row?
6: Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> yes, today was 480. Yes. Yes. Um, so I decided... I entered this contest that was called the 30 by 30. So you ran 30 minutes every day of November, uh, starting November 1st. And uh, I liked it so much that I just kept going. And it actually was such a perfect thing, a perfect challenge to have during the COVID time, because as everything was changing, um, I don't, I haven't spoken. Talked about my kids yet, but I have five kids that are under the age of 15. And so, as schools were closing down, um, my work was up in the air. My husband's work was, you know, like it was just, it was changing, right? The one consistent thing was that I was running 30 minutes every day and I did it outside. And so, it would just, it just offered me so many benefits. And now I just don't even know if I can ever stop now that i'm at like 480 how can i stop right
0: so well, we've talked i i think we we talked to a fellow by the name it was several weeks ago it's one of my favorite interviews we've done on real Talk. A guy by the name of john mark earl uh who's done the same thing um in northern alberta he 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 takes uh ice baths in the river um in peace river uh every day and he's been doing it for I don't remember off the top of my head but people should follow him on Instagram like a couple or a few hundred days in a row and it's the same sort of a thing it's it's and it's what I pick up from you as well there's a a beautiful and in some cases a painful uh, personal motivation that drives you and I think it's just remarkable. I wanted to let you know that an individual by the name of Brad Fair who's a great friend of this show he's a brain injury survivor uh, and Brad watches us every morning. I think what Brad's trying to do really is, is to make me feel guilty about plopping my ass down in a leather chair every day and, and sipping coffee while I do nothing but talk because Brad watches Real Talk while he cycles. in,
6: yeah, in, in his,
0: And he cycles, like one day during the show, he cycled something like 200 kilometers during the show. Like it, it, it just blew my mind. Anyway, he says, Please tell your ultra marathoner on Real Talk right now what a great goal. 50 ultras before 50. That's amazing. That from a guy who I would say walks the walk, but he cycles the cycle. So that from Glad. What do you want people, aside from support of of what you're doing? And obviously, you know, we want to make sure that people check out SurvivorFest24.com, Laura. But what do you hope to accomplish? with all of this? What do you want Real Talkers to take away from this interview?
6: Well, of course, if you're an athlete, come to our event, right? Um, but, you know, the biggest thing for me is just sharing my story. Um, I, think, I think it was like Kim had said, uh, that this is a, you know, it is a great story uh, to talk about because a lot of times when the topic of sexual violence or sexual assault is brought up, it is hard it's a hard topic and it sometimes can be sad and frustrating. But if you tell my story, it can also be an icebreaker because there's a lot of people out there who have been affected by sexual assault or violence. Uh, They haven't spoken or or said a word about it. I have a lot of people that come up to me after I've shared my story um, and they've never even said the words Me Too before. And so that's always the start of the journey and uh, everybody's journey is different. Not everybody has to do what I'm doing, but um, mostly just share my story and talk about something that can be like, I, I love the hashtag beyond me too, because there is something very powerful and strong that can happen, you know, um, yeah and so share my story follow us on instagram facebook um we're trying to make track running exciting (laughs) it used to be years ago there used to be betting involved and in the early 1900s um but uh yeah so we're just, we've we've tagged it the celebration of strength sacrifice and survival because it's not it's not just for survivors it's for athletes it's for family it's for friends it's for community um saffron center is a pretty special place that's our local sexual assault center but uh you know everybody can help out in their own small way
0: well let me tell you um I, uh, you're a new friend of mine, but I'm proud to consider you a friend. I'm, I, I'm blown away at what you're doing. Um, I'm not going to promise to join you on an ultra marathon, but you, I will... you
2: could come MC. Come MC.
0: <laughs> I can come MC it. Okay. Well, yes. we'll you and I will. You and I will continue to talk. Yes. I get, I'm, I'm. I'm proud to tell you right now. I'm happy to make a commitment to support the event, absolutely at the very Thanks, least. Um, you're a remarkable human being, and and what really means a lot to me as well is to know that that you're a real talker. You're a member of this community, and uh, and so on behalf of all of us that are gonna people are going to hear this on the podcast days from now. Um, people are watching it live right now on YouTube. We're proud of you. And uh, uh, thank
6: you so much. You got it. Yeah. I'm hooked. I'm hooked, like I said, every day. I'm I'm well, I, I might have missed a few episodes, but I try and keep on top of it. This morning I was trying to listen while I was doing core, but because there was some sort of glitching and stuff because you were at home. So yeah, that's, all, that,
0: that's all Sam's fault.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, you guys. <laughs> I'm going to remind everybody that I can cut you off anytime I want.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Sam, Sam holds the guillotine. He holds the controls to the guillotine today. So we better be careful. Hey, Laura, uh, Laura honestly, uh, uh, SurvivorFest24.com. Is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you want to mention quickly? I
6: don't think so. Just okay. that June 12th, 13th, Survivor Fest is part of the Trail and Ultra weekend. Um, we have amazing medals that we will personalize with, I got to get this straight, epic vibe share, double or triple slam. So if you do our event <laughs> with another event, r- r- uh, runners are absolute crazy people. So if if they're looking for other events, tag it up with ours and we'll personalize your medals.
0: You, you, like it's not enough? Some, some people are looking at this, running it for 24 hours, Is it's not enough?
6: Well, you know, and it helps support the other race directors like Sinister Sports down in Crow's Nest Pass. They've got the Virtual Vert, Five Peaks. They've got a short trail race. There's a new ultra in town called the Klondike Ultra way up in Fort Fort Assitiboine. Okay. So they've got relays long. But if you find a 400 meter track, go around for six hours This could be yours.
0: That could be (laughs) yours. All right. uh, I'm all
6: about collaborating and having fun. And that's why my team has decided February 28th, no more new ideas from Laura is coming to Survivor Fest. That's my deadline for bringing new ideas. So I've got to get in as much as I can before February 28th.
0: And so here here you are on on Canada's most listened to daily podcast, throwing out as many ideas as you possibly can. Yeah, thanks, (laughs) Brian.
6: Good thing you gave me a time, you know, okay. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> All right, Laura. Hey, uh, thank you so much.
0: You're a legend. It's we'll a real pleasure. Touch. To be, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for if this. If you
6: want, if you want to talk about any other running stuff in the province of Alberta, I'm your girl.
0: Consider it done. <laughs> there you go. That's Laura Sherrod Townsend, uh, mom of five, an entrepreneur, um, as she uh, so courageously told us, a survivor of sexual violence, and uh, just a remarkable human being. Again, I want to encourage you to check out Survivor Fest. 24.com we're going to get to some of your emails uh wanted to leave some time at the end of the broadcast today and uh also want to make sure that that everybody knows i mean i think it goes without saying Samuel G. Brooks has elevated his performance today uh, to keep this show uh, running, like he has, uh, and just done an amazing job of that. And so, um, uh, of course, if you're if you're just joining us right now, I'm coming to you from my house. Um, it's because we're we're following protocols. Somebody uh, that was a contact of mine last week has tested positive for COVID nineteen. Um, I'm asymptomatic. I feel great, but I'm going to get my test today. And until we have test results, we're gonna we're gonna do what Alberta Health Services asks us to do. So that's why I'm at home. Um, wanted to remind you how proud we are to be partnering up with the team at Grand Dog Essentials. They offer quality raw dog food. And and a couple of you have have emailed in to say, well, what's new with them? Because they're constantly evolving the nutritional offerings. We've got a team of experts that can help you decide what's good or most fitting for your four-legged family members. Well, they've got three new supplements they want you to know about. A supplement that helps your dog protect. It's a daily probiotic. They have the digestive enzymes that help with your dog's digestion. And then this green-lipped muscle oil, which is, they say, move over fish oil. There's a new kid in town. If you want to learn more about what could be healthiest for your dog, you can check them out online by following the links under the sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com. We're also very proud, as you know, to be partnered with the team at Local Waste Services. For more than a quarter century, they've been in the business of waste management, going up against the big multinational companies. They're locally owned and operated, and they want to compete for your business. You can check them out online at localwaste.ca. You can ask for Chris and Lauren if you want to give them a call, and of course, don't forget they sponsor our Trash Talk. Every Fridays as we wrap up our show, it's your chance to blow off a little steam on things that are driving you nuts, but whether that's provincial politics, whether it's raisins and cinnamon buns, whatever it is that's driving you absolutely bonkers, you let us know by sending us an email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make sure you put local waste or trash talk in the subject line. Of course, you know that Talk at RyanJesperson.com is a great way to get in touch with the show. And we receive dozens and dozens of emails every single day. We sift through them all. Uh, many times uh, we, you may not hear your information or your email, your specific take on the show, but we want you to know that it all impacts the production elements. It impacts the editorial side of what we're doing. Like this one uh, from Cassandra, a great email that jumped out at us because it was in response Uh, to one of the most inspiring interviews that I think I've ever done. Uh, It was just a few days ago here on the show when when we talked to Irshad Manji, uh, the author, the recipient of that Oprah Winfrey Leadership Award. It was right before her event for the Edmonton Public Library. She talked to us about finding moral courage in messy times. Cassandra wrote in and said, Ryan and Sam, good morning. After listening to Irshad on your show and after tuning into her talk uh, with the Edmonton Public Library, it got me thinking about our current state of policing. Now I'm not an officer and I've never been through police training, but I wonder if the current training and the idea of the brother or sisterhood mentality can lead to a certain level of groupthink, or certainly a group of people always following the rules simply because this is the way. And Cassandra says, yes, that is an intentional reference to the Mandalorian. Uh, She says, from what I understand about police and enforcement training, they prepare you for a lot of worst case scenarios. Why don't I wonder, she says, police comment when one of their team members displays racist tendencies. Is this brotherhood or sisterhood mentality actually beneficial for society? Does it lead to police working for themselves and for those who look and act like them, but not for the rest of society? The reason why earshot got me thinking about this, says Cassandra, is that if you're only presented with one set of rules or one creed or one mantra or whatever, then you avoid continuous growth. You avoid understanding or learning or even unlearning, which is why I'm starting to wonder if this may be happening with police. That from Cassandra, an interesting question. We wanna let you know we do have a request in to speak with Edmonton's Police Chief Dale McPhee and we, we hope to have that conversation soon. I also wanted to read this from Aya before we sign off today. Aya said, Ryan, you read an email a while ago about a listener, a viewer telling you that if they got their wish on the show, they'd hear from fewer white men. And it actually annoyed me for a couple of reasons. Having tuned into your show since your very first podcast was released, you've done an amazing job featuring a diverse lineup of guests from many different backgrounds that I feel have represented and embodied diversity. I hope to see that continue to flourish and I look forward to hearing stories and understanding lived experiences of others. Aya says, as a person of color, I fully understand the need for representation and and having minority voices heard, but I really hate when people simply say we need less white men without anything more. It's not, I'm not one to coddle somebody that suffers from white fragility as Robin DiAngelo discusses in her great book. It's exhausting having to explain the same points over and over again to people that simply don't want to understand the effects of systemic racism, but throwing out simple statements like that one from that real talker doesn't help a conversation and more detailed points are required to bring people over to understand your views so that people's first reaction is not being Defensive. As a Black Muslim woman, I've learned that I have to be thoughtful and strategic and patient in educating others. Thanks to respectability politics, I don't get to be annoyed, frustrated, or tired. It shouldn't be the responsibility of the minority to make the majority understand or make them feel good, but sadly, that's the reality of our society and our world. So emails like those ones that you read, in my opinion, can do more harm than good. That from Aya. Aya, thanks for taking the time to listen to our podcast and thanks for writing into the show. I wanted to remind you that the team at Kubi Energy presents positive reflections every Monday, which is a great way to get your perspective focused in the right direction each and every kickoff to each and every new week Kubi Energy also of course is providing solar installation expertise to people in BC and Alberta across both provinces here in Western Canada using only journeyman electricians and electrical apprentices. They're certified by Tesla and they handle all of your paperwork more and more real talkers are telling us that you're talking to Kubi Energy about potentially switching your home over. If you'd like to explore whether or not that's a good idea, you can find them online at kubieenergy.ca or, of course, under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. We also want to remind you that if it's a day to treat yourself or maybe it's a day you feel like skipping all the prep and the mess that goes along with making dinner, why not look to your go-to delivery app or hit the drive-through at one of the six Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. They've got a chicken strip special for just under seven bucks right now. And they love when you let them know you're there because you're a real talker. They say more specific specials coming up. For those that tune in to Jesperson, stay tuned from the team at Dairy Queen. And finally, a shout out to the team at Alta moving in storage today. As the weather ages towards spring and we get more and more excited about new beginnings, if that involves a move for you, Take the stress out of it. Check into those pod style containers that they offer, or if you require long or short term storage, nobody does it better than Alta Moving In Storage, locally owned and operated. You can find all of their details on our website. Just follow the sponsors link. Well, there we have it. This is the first broadcast that we've ever done remotely. Samuel G. Brooks has been uh, bravely uh, behind the scenes solving problems and ensuring that we stay on the air. And and Sam, um, we don't know what tomorrow's show will bring. We Uh, don't know,
1: but we'll we'll be ready for it. Absolutely.
0: We'll be ready for it. I just wanted to take an opportunity right now. Sam, you got to keep yourself on camera because um, I just wanted to say, uh, right now candidly uh how much uh, all of us a- as part of this community including me as the host uh, appreciate everything that you've done your expertise is remarkable and the show would not have made it to air would not have made it to the podcast today if it weren't for your efforts including in the late night hour look at how sound gets <laughs> uncomfortable everybody look how he gets uncomfortable look, I dude, it's my here.
1: job to make the show work if that means coming to the studio in my pajamas last night so be it which i definitely did <laughs>
5: Well, hey, I
0: did my hair and put on a shirt today, so I'm pretty proud of myself. Um, Sam, uh, you know that I've got a ton of respect for you. I appreciate the Real Talkers that that stuck around through our early bumps on the road this morning's show. We're going to talk to you tomorrow morning at 8.30 Mountain Time, including a great conversation with Josh Rhodes out of the University of Texas and Blake Schaefer out of the University of Calgary, We're going to fact check some of the wind and solar stuff we talked about yesterday and take a look at what we should learn from the great state of Texas. Until then, make it a great Tuesday, my friends, and we'll talk to you soon.